0: So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to talk about my all-time favorite passage in the Bible this morning, and uh, it is John chapter 1, and we're going to talk about Christmas truth today, and I'm going to look at the first five verses of this pa- passage. We're going to kind of rip it apart and pull it back together again, and uh, we're going to look at who is Jesus and the truth that he brings, and I trust and pray that that you'll draw in, draw near. If you're watching online, that uh, you will get your device ready and, you'll, and uh, your Bible ready, and, and uh, let's just see what God has for us today. So as a critical, pivotal time in Jesus' ministry on earth, his time on earth, he turns to his disciples and he says this, they ask this question. He says, who do you say, he's talking to his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And they had a, a variety of different answers, and and um, Peter actually got it right. But years later, the Apostle John is answering that question in John chapter one. So this is the answer: is who do you say that the Son of Man is? So that's what the that's what the question is. And uh, let's just see what the answer is. So we're in John chapter one, verse one. It says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, I love this last phrase, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. No matter what happens... In this world, no matter what happens, is that light always prevails over darkness. That's the reality. It overcomes. Light shining into our lives is always going to win. Aren't you glad for that? You got, you're going to win when you let the light shine in your life. So let's just kind of break this down. This is, I just read the verse. Now let's just kind of break it down into a couple, three different categories. First of all, we're talking about Jesus here. This is what this passage is about. And so let's look at first and foremost Jesus' relationship to the Father. It says this, let's go back to the first part of this verse. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, in the beginning, it literally would read, In beginning, there's no definite article here. This, this, is, this is, there's no definite article. You'll notice that the in your Bible is probably italicized because to clean it up so that it read well for us English-speaking people, it, would, it just wouldn't read well without the definite article. So I want you to know that there's a whole different meaning when you really put it in its original context and, and leave out the definite article. Literally, it would read, in the beginning of beginnings when there was no beginning. In other words, it's not talking about the beginning. There was no beginning. It's talking about a character trait, the beginning of beginnings when there was no beginning. And then it goes on to say, in the beginning of beginnings when there was no beginning was the word, the logos. That's the Greek word there, logos. Logos. And logos is an interesting, interesting word. Greek philosophers, these are secular people, not, not, not faith people, but secular Greek philosophers, 500 years before Christ began to use this word to signify that which gives life and meaning and form to the universe. So the Logos, based on secular writings, is this thing. They they didn't realize it had a name, that that God has a name, but they they were taking this word and using this word in the context of that which gives life and meaning to the universe. So the Logos was with God. And the word was God. The Logos was God. And literally, this is fascinating. This is powerful. So, in the original Greek text, this is what it would read: uh, the, the Greek words, three simple Greek words, but they're powerful. Proston Theon, which literally means face to face. So, the word was face to face with God. The word was God. There is two ways that the writer of John describes describes this this concept. First of all, he says. The word, the Logos, was face-to-face with God. Now what that suggests is an equality with God. You don't go face-to-face with God. Nobody in this auditorium goes face-to-face with God. Nobody in the history goes literal, literally face-on, face-on. There have been glimpses of God's face with people, but this is, this is a statement of equality. Whoever the Logos was, was face-to-face with God, and he was God. Just so that we would not misunderstand it or get it confused, this Logos was, the, was God. So face-to-face, the Word was God. So who is the Word? Who is the Logos? Well, if you drop down, this won't be on the screen, but if you drop down about, you know, 13, 14 verses, in verse 14 it says, And the Word and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. So this Logos became a human being, and so we know that human being to be Jesus the Christ. John Piper explains it kind of like this. So I'm going to kind of use his illustration, but I'm going to make it into my own. So I want you to imagine for just a minute that you're five years old again. All right? Just imagine the five-year-old you, wherever that takes you. Just let this go there for just a second. You're in the store. You're shopping with your mom. And all of a sudden, you know, you get distracted, your mom gets distracted, and pretty soon you look up and mama ain't nowhere to be found. Now, at five years old, that would freak most people out, right? You're five years old, you're dependent upon your mom for everything, and food, shelter, everything. And so all of a sudden, you're lost in the middle of this crowded, let's call it Costco. And all of a sudden, you look up and in the middle of Costco, your mom is missing, and you're in a panic. You're running down aisles. You're trying to find out where mom went. And all of a sudden you see a shadow of someone standing behind a, a, a counter. You can't see it's, who it is that's standing behind there. But you see a shadow. And you look at that shadow and you go, that looks like my mom. And that gives you some level of comfort, right, that all of a sudden maybe you're on the right track. And then. Mom steps out from behind the counter and there she is in all of her glory and beauty. There is mama. And so you rush and you, and you run into her arms and, you're, you know, she wipes your tears and, and she tells you everything is all right and, and you feel better. But this is the question that I want to ask you. Which is better, the happiness of seeing the shadow or having your mom step around from around the corner and seeing her in person? Obviously, the answer is you want to see her in person. That's the way it is. With Jesus. So listen to this carefully. Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the real thing. All the Old Testament, all of it, were shadows, glimpses into the New Covenant. When you start reading the Old Testament, you're going to see there's all these images and shadows that come full-blown in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Christmas is all about. It's exposing God to For the God that he is, it is revealing God for the God that he is. Jesus, listen to this carefully, takes God out of the shadows. If I want to know God, I can see God in the person of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Now let's talk about, that's his relationship to God. Now let's talk about his relationship to creation. Verse number 3, all things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. Everything by him, nothing without him. Jesus, this God that we worship, Jesus, is the creator of everything you and I see or feel or or experience. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. That's what that verse says. So there's a guy by the name, an old dead guy by the name of Frank Sheed. And uh, he was what is called an apologist. He went to university campuses. Uh, and uh, he would debate other professors, and it was, you know, a glorious thing. And one day he had a heckler in the audience. Sheed was talking about creation, and uh, this, guy, this guy stood up and said, I could make a better universe than your God could. And so Sheed's reply was brilliant. This is what he said. I won't ask you to make a universe, but would you make a rabbit just to establish credibility? I mean, that's brilliant, right? Because you're the – listen to me carefully – you are the creator of nothing. All you do, you can build, you can have artistry, you can put things together, but nobody in here speaks by their mouth and things come into existence. I don't think, right? That's not you, right? Say amen. It's not you, you're not the creator. He's the creator. Now, there's a worldview in our culture, and so let me tell you what the, the worldview in our culture is. This is how people fathom God. A world, this is a world belief system. This is prevalent today. In the beginning were particles. And particles, some, some, particles somehow became a complex living stuff. And the stuff then began to imagine God. That's the worldview. Isn't that the worldview of the, our culture today? Believes that God is the God of our imagination. That we use God to justify a faith system that makes us feel better. And what I want to suggest is just the opposite. God is the creator of everything that we have, everything by him, nothing without him. If there, Now listen to this. If there is no creation, if there isn't a God who does creation, there therefore is no purpose in life. If you climb, listen to me carefully, if you climbed out of the swamp and became this amazing human person, I'm telling you, what that, that that may be that may sound great, but the truth is, is it leaves us without purpose in our life. And without purpose, we are most men miserable. So let me just say this to you. Do you know why COVID is so difficult on people? Okay, lean in a little bit, because this is good. This is good stuff. It's because a purposeless life is magnified in isolation. A, let me say that again because you need to understand that. A purposeless life is magnified in isolation. And because living for yourself uh, when you live for yourself, you can't feed your indulgences to get rid of your pain. And so it just intensifies. The truth is, if there's no creation, there is no redemption. There's no forgiveness. And there's no purpose in life. And so you and I are just, we're just accidents wandering around, bumping in, hoping. And, and there's no hope for tomorrow. If there's no creator who sustains all things by the word of his power, there is no hope for tomorrow. We have no hope at all that anything is ever going to get better if we are just the object of the subject of random choice of this universe that exists. And and of course, the sinfulness of men. If we're putting our hope in the sinfulness of men, I'm telling you, that is a most miserable thing. So this idea that God is the creator is a pretty doggone big deal. You know what I mean? This has great implications as to what my purpose is and why I live. And so I'm going to challenge you again later in the sermon. But I just want to ask you, As you think about what your purpose is, it can't be to be a consumer, right? That's that's not a good purpose for your life. It can't be just to get as much toys as you possibly can in the the course of this world. So what is your purpose? When you think about what your purpose is, a creator suggests design. Design. And if design is true, that means that you then are are designed by God for a purpose in this life. And then when God redeems you by the blood of his son, that even intensifies this idea of what it means to live out on purpose. And I'm telling you, people who have purpose in their life don't get twisted sideways when we're in isolation because their focus is on their purpose, not on external circumstances. Make sense to you? So, purpose is a big deal, and it's designed by a creator God. And that's what John chapter 1 says, that he was in the beginning. He was in the beginning of beginnings when there was no beginning, and everything that was made was made by him. And without him, there was nothing made. Now let's talk about his relationship to man, to you and I, to me and you. Verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus then, this Logos, who became flesh and dwelt among us, is the mediator of two things. The first thing he's the mediator, he's the mediator of life. You and I were born dead in our trespasses and sins. So he's the mediator that gives us life. He makes us come alive to be born again. Dead men need life. That's why Jesus came into the world. Is because you couldn't solve your own problems. And the truth is, is that you never never will, you never could. It's only when Jesus steps and pours his life through you. Now, I'm going to say this again to you later on in the sermon. So listen to it now and then we'll come back to it. Is that for me to have this life, I've got to understand that my old life has to die. I've got to die. And I've got to be reborn into a new life. And until I get there, if I'm just trying to add Jesus to an already crowded life, I'm going to tell you you're going to get chaos. You're not going to get anything you're desiring. It has to be the fact that you need to get up every day and understand that your life has died and has been hid in Christ. It's the life of God that flows through you, and that's the that's where that's what scripture says. John 15 says the very same thing. He's the vine, you're the branches. You can't, you have to abide in Him. If you choose to live your own life separate from Him, I'm telling you, it won't work. You'll die. So I've got to be broken. I've got to die. I've got to reckon myself dead and alive unto God. That's what the New Testament says. So He's the mediator of life. And the second thing He's the mediator of is He's the mediator of light. And light represents Revelation. And, you know, the Christmas message is about God coming into the world to give revelation, to reveal to us the heart of the Father. And so revelation is a pretty big deal in the Bible. Christmas is not about, um, about the living God coming to us and saying to us everything is okay. It's not what it's about. Everything is not okay. Everything in your life, look at me in the eyes, online, wherever you're at, look at me in the eyes and understand what I'm about to say. Your life is a hot mess and you need the revelation of God. You need God, you need God to step into your life and live his life through you and reveal to you the things that you need to know. John's gospel is not about Jesus speaking the truth and everyone saying, oh yeah, I know that. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I've heard that. I, they, that. I got taught that in Sunday school. It's not what it's about. Of course we realize that. That's not what it's about. It's about God shining his clear, bright torch into the darkness of our world and our lives and our hearts and in our imaginations and bringing truth to every, every area of my life. Every area of my life. And no one can understand God unless God reveals himself to us. So I need revelation. Jesus is the mediator of two things, of light and, 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 and um, what did I say it was? Life, there it, there it was. I had lost my train of thought. Sorry, just for a second here. So that's the reality of what John 1, 5 says. No one can understand God. For many, God has never become a personal reality. So let me just, let me just take a time and, and, and unpack that for you just a few, for a few minutes. So I, I recently moved offices. I, we all did an office exchange and, and so I moved out of my office, moved into a new office. Until I made my move, I had a picture of my wife hanging on my wall and, uh, and it's not hanging on my wall today of her choice because it was a picture that was 20 years old. And she says, that's not me anymore, so let's get a new one. But I used to have this picture of her, when, and I looked at it every day, and I thanked God for the wife that God had given me. And, uh, and so here's the reality. I had two things. I had, I had her, and I had her picture. Which do you think was more meaningful to me? Her, right? A picture is just a picture. A picture may be able to stimulate some things, but the fact is, is I had the opportunity and, and we've lived together, by the way, in marriage, we've lived together for 46 years. And so, yeah, thank you, thank you. I have, I have thrived for 46 years and she's survived for 46 years. That's how it is. And I can pretty much predict every response. After 46 years of marriage, by, by having the opportunity to live with her, I can almost automatically predict her responses to me. I know what ticks her off. I'm just saying. And almost every day, I learn to avoid those things. Almost every day, I make the right choices and avoid those things. But I've learned, I've learned her. I mean, we've lived together for 40, we finish each other's sentences. I mean, I know what she's thinking. Uh, I can predict her reaction to any, almost any circumstance. And for some of you, listen to this carefully, don't miss the illustration. For some of you, you have pictures of God in your mind, but you've never had the experience of knowing him. And there's a big difference between seeing a picture and knowing the living God. God could be just someone who looks good for you, but not someone that is reality and is living inside of your heart. For us to embrace the true Christ, he has to come off that wall and he has to enter into our hearts and live, and it has to be his life living through us. This is pretty deep, right? But that's what Scripture teaches it's not adding Jesus to my crowded life. For us to embrace this true Christ, we have to make him more than just a wall plaque. And the only way to do that is through the one who came to reveal him. So God is the creator, sustainer, judge of all humanity. But the Bible wants us to understand that he is he's not the father of us all. So let's get into something really controversial. So almost everybody wants to call God their father, But the reality is Jesus, when he was on the planet, he looks at some of the religious leaders and this is what he says. He says to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. You are of your father, the devil. You do his works, not mine. So not everyone can call God father. So listen to this carefully. The only ones who have been given the right to call him father are those to whom Jesus grants that right through this new birth that he gives. So unless you're born again, you are still living out the lifestyle uh, with your father as the devil. When you become a born-again child of God, you, be, you enter into this relationship with Jesus and now, and now you, you enter into this relationship where he, God the Father now assumes the rightful role of being your father. You cannot have the fatherhood of God without embracing the sonship of Jesus. That's John 1, 1 through 5. So the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope for you, hope for pardon, hope for peace and hope, the hope of God, hope of the glory of God. And so with all that in mind, out of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, I want to give you five takeaways. These are things that I can take to the bank and I can start living right now. Money back guarantee, these will make a difference in your life, right? Here we go. Number one, because he is the eternal God, We should believe in Him and submit our our lives and everything in our lives to Him as the sovereign Lord. If you believe that He is the creator of all things, then the only natural, reasonable response is to submit everything to God. Everything to God. To put yourself under His leadership in every area of your life, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your money. In your, rela- your playtime, you submit everything to God. You live out. See, see the fact is, is that he's the creator. If he's my creator, there should be ne- never anything that I ever do in the darkness that I'm not ashamed, that I'm ashamed of. My life at home should be my life in public if God is my creator. I shouldn't be living a dichotomy and behaving one way with my wife and behaving another way at church. If God is my Creator, it's natural then to submit to everything to Him as the Sovereign Lord. Because He's my Creator, I then should live on purpose. Because He's my Creator, I should live then on purpose. That everything, I believe that everything that I do should be done for the purposes of God in my life. If He is this Creator God that we say He is. And because He is our life, we should be filled with the hope because we'll spend eternity with Him. And because He is our life, the reality is because He is our life, I then can have this life of joy and peace. But here's the conflict. Until I get to the place where I recognize that I have to die, I'm living out this, this, this fraud, this relationship with God that really isn't altogether true until I recognize that his life is in me and I have to die I'm still trying to live my life and my life's still a mess I've got to surrender to my death and embrace his life that's John 15 by the way I have to abide in him as he abides in me if he is this God that John chapter 1 suggests that he is And because He is our light, we should let Him, His light shine into every decision we make and into every area of our lives. Because He is the light, it should, every decision I make should be made with the light of God in mind. I should pray about every decision. I should pray about, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't decide how much I should give, how much I should save, how much I should spend. I should be asking my Father. He gave it to me. He's the Creator. He's the Redeemer. I should ask God every decision. It's his life, not mine. Recently, I had the opportunity, the joy of buying another car. And uh, I just love that experience, honestly. Don't, not. Because it's most of the time a three-hour, four-hour, you know, little game that you play back and forth. And I don't like to play games. And so I'm going to teach you a way that you can shut that game down Really quick, you know how the game they play. Saying, you know, if you if you'll just sign this right here, I can take this offer back to my boss, and if he accepted, we have a deal. So I had that happen to me, and I said, "Well, time out. I I don't make any decisions without prayer. I have to ask my Father. This is not my vehicle. This is. Is this the vehicle you want me to drive, God, or is it not? And I, I'm just saying, every decision we make should be brought. The light of God should be brought into it, and that we should depend upon that light. In his direction in our life for, for everything, everything. There should be nothing that this doesn't cover. And so I, I just want to end with this thought. Don't settle for shadows. Don't settle for shadows when you can possess Jesus. And a lot of people just, they settle for the shadow of Jesus. And they don't get the reality of who he is. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, brings Jesus into the light brings God into the light and you and I can have this amazing relationship with Him but I've got to make a decision that I'm not going to settle for the shadows and uh, I just have to make that decision we're going to end our services with a, in a little different way we're going to sing a song called The Light of the World and I, I have a homework assignment for you this is an amazing song and our worship team kills it I'm just going to tell you and I want you, this is what I want you to do I have listened to this song this week, about six, seven times, I don't know how many times, but I put my headphones on. I have those really fancy ones that, you know, you know cancel out all the sound and, and, uh, and so I crank it up, and, and that way I don't you know, when my wife asks me to do something, no just, no I'm just kidding, that's not true. But I, I just love it's a worship experience I have every day. This is a song that what I want you to do is I want you to put your headphones on this week. You can Google it, "Light of the world." And uh, you'll get it. It's free. You can download it. You can listen to it. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to experience it. I want you to listen to the words that are in this song. Because truth changes us and music moves us. So I want you to put your headphones on this week as a homework assignment. Or if you don't have headphones, if you have a car and you have a Bluetooth and you have a stereo system, Crank that up. Crank it up so loud that, you know, that all the people around you are annoyed by your music. I don't care. But whatever you do, do it so loud that you can't be distracted by anything else except the words to this song. And I just want you to listen to it today. I want you to experience it. I want you to worship with it. I want you to sing them. But tomorrow, I want you to get up and I want you to do it all over again. And I want you to just put these thoughts inside of your mind and let them drip down into your soul and watch God change some powerful things inside of your life. And uh, I hope and pray you do that.